Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution. I'm your humble host, Amrit Sandhu, and you're tuning in to a conscious conversation designed to help you grow. Our mission here is simple. It's for you to live your purpose, live your best life, live the life you love. This podcast is sponsored by Enthusiasm for Life, by great creation itself. To keep the good vibes flowing for myself and yourself, do us a solid. Subscribe to the Inspired Evolution podcast on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution podcast. Now sit back. Relax, open your mind, open your heart to this conversation and stay inspired. Keep evolving. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution. Oh my God, what a treat it is to be here today. We have with us none other than Matt Khan. Matt, how are you? It's an honor to be here with you. That was the most amazing noise I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Actually, that means a lot to me coming from you. I bet you've heard some really interesting noises. In your no, life. I've I've heard a lot of things, and um, that that was just a a primal, beautiful like. It just I was like, wow, I, I felt that in my body. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to empath that and. Uh, <laughs> That was amazing. I just really enjoyed that. I really enjoy your warrior spirit. That was amazing. Oh, touch wood. Thank you so much. I'll actually use that as a quick little segue for those that are tuning in to Matt for the first time. Uh, let me just say I am highly surprised if that is the case. So, but you know, out of respect, out of love for the podcast and the audience, I must do the honors. So Matt is a deep <laughs> spiritual teacher and highly attuned empathic healer. And we're going to talk a lot more about this today. He's a powerful speaker. For those that have watched him on YouTube, you'll know exactly what I mean. Um, and he's a captivating author of the highly acclaimed books, Whatever Arises. Love that. Mm. Mm. Everything is here to help you. In fact, the universe always has a plan. <laughs> And these books have actually been translated into over a dozen languages. And his newest book is actually All for Love, The Transformative Power of Holding Space, which is, in my circles, I think that's a conversation we have quite a bit, but I think it's a conversation that could really get a lot more airtime. And Matt has dedicated a gorgeous book to the entire subject. And amongst his honours, Matt was named one of the most influential spiritual people living alongside the likes of Dalai Lama and Eckhart Tolle, who I love very dearly as well. So Matt, thank you so much for being here, sharing yourself with us here today. It is, like I said, an absolute treat for me. Well, thank you. Thank you for for having me here. And it's always an honour to serve you and everyone who's tuning in. It's truly, truly my honour. Matt, a big part of where I first came into your work was, um, for me, I was starting to pack and unpack this work around my inner child. Mm. And it was this, yeah, like, I guess some part of me identifies with always having this childlike spirit present, which is, you know, touch wood, been a very, um, it's been a bit of a gift. Um, and yet there were, there were wounds that I mm. hadn't ever acknowledged um, didn't even know that needed acknowledgement, actually, or never even known how to look at, let alone realize that they were festering in some ways, actually, um, right. if I'm honest with you. Um, and that really exposed me to your work. And that was my entry point into Matt Kahn, Inner Child, 
healing work. Now, I definitely want to go down um, some of the rabbit warrens that are available to us in those spaces today. But just to provide, and usually where I like to start, um, is with some context. So your so much of your work is dedicated to healing. Um, yeah. I'm cognizant, and it doesn't have to be everybody's story, that the archetype of the wounded healer is quite a prevalent one for healers in society. Um, do you ever look back at the mat that was like 10 or 8 or 7 and go, oh, I was always going to be this person or is this a complete mystery to you that you've turned out this way? <laughs> like, yeah. I can, you know, it's so funny. I have these experiences all the time where I look back and I can see the breadcrumbs and I went, wow, this was foreshadowed the entire time. <laughs> and I didn't know about it. Mm. Like it was in plain sight. I had no idea. When I was a kid, <clears throat> I thought I was going to be a multitude of things. I wanted to be an attorney. Because yeah. as a kid, I liked to argue. Um, <laughs> raised in a family of attorneys, and I thought I was going to be one. Um, I wanted to be a bunch of things. I was a performer. I've been a performer since I was 10 years old. And so mm -hmm. I thought, you know, when you're 10, you go, I'm going to be famous for whatever, for no reason. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to show up and sign autographs. And, and, and so all these little things happen in my life. And as I move throughout my journey, there were things that I did. I was a personal trainer and I was successful at that. I had a back injury and I asked the universe to mm -hmm. heal it. And I said, if you heal my back, I'll serve your will. And after almost a two year uh, debilitating back injury, it was healed in 10 seconds. And Whoa. so, and spirituality has always been something that's really called to me that I've really enjoyed. But for me to say, I envisioned this, I had a vision and I actualized it mm. is nowhere near the truth of what happened. Yeah. I didn't know what I did existed. I didn't know this was even a thing. I can tell you when I was 12 or 12-ish, mm. I looked at the sky one day and I said, I want to experience the mysteries and the miracles of the universe. And I want a front row seat to watch the will of God, which is what I would refer to the universe, the will of God do its miracles on a daily basis. And then it wasn't until I was on stage in the middle of a retreat that mm. I remembered that memory. And I realized I am sitting front row getting <laughs> miracles of the universe that are working through me. So that was an intention I set when I was 12, just as a moment of inspiration but I had no idea that that was going to lead to what my life has become. And it's only when I looked back, did I see how obvious the path was, but in all honesty, as intuitive as I am, I had no clue. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that with all the, um, all the authenticity that's baked into that. I really, really appreciate it. It does. Hey, you're welcome. It does really make me wonder, isn't it? That, um, how much of when we say these intentions to ourselves, how much of them are coming from, and maybe you can help discern this, yeah. how much of them are coming from us and how much right. they are coming from beyond us, the, the us that we're right. identifying with, and how much of it, if it is coming from just the us, if I can call it that, is it part of what we're, like we are programming our journey or if it's coming from the beyond the us, um, whether right. it is part of, you know, a download that is actually, this is where your journey is going. Absolutely. You know, it's a great question. <clears throat> to answer that question, here's an example I'll give because mm. this was a metaphor I once gave in response to a question similar to this. And I love mm. the question. I really appreciate you asking. Mm. So I gave an example when I was talking about the law of attraction. And mm -hmm. I was talking about the law of attraction from a third dimensional perspective, a fifth dimensional perspective. And I said, imagine you're driving to the grocery store. And you say, as the creator of my reality, I declare that I am going to have a parking spot in the front of the grocery store that will be there when I arrive. And you mm -hmm. pull into the grocery store. And as you're pulling in, someone in the front is pulling out and you're like, oh my goodness, <laughs> I just manifested this. And you yeah. take your Now in a parallel dimension, let's say you didn't say anything and mm. you pulled into the grocery store as someone was pulling out and you thought, what great fortune mm -hmm. I get to. So in either example, you're going to have the same experience 
But I think what happens, and this is just what I have tuned in intuitively from the Akashic Records, is that there are experiences that are entering our field of perception. Mm. Our intuition processes the recognition of what can happen. And then through our declaration, say, I create this to happen. And then when it happens, we think we created it out of you know, empty space. <laughs> but our, our creatorship is the recognition with our intuition through our nervous system of mm. what was already coming our way. Already there. And I think that, and I think at a more complex level, when we're still working through levels of ego, there are mm. aspects of our ego that like to find anything to elicit some form of control over reality. And mm. not in a negative way, the ego looks for control because it's looking for a place to hide from the anticipation of further trauma. So it's a very... Mm innocent, beautiful um, pattern. But nonetheless, mm -hmm. the ego will look at the law of attraction and go, oh, that's how I can create. <laughs> Maximize pleasure and minimize pain. <laughs> and it salivates at the idea that I can create reality at will. And so mm -hmm. the funny answer is what's the difference? How do you know if something's coming from your ego or coming from source? Well, if it's coming from source, it's something that happens. Mm. And if it's coming from your ego, it's something you anticipate and constantly track and manage. And so whether we say we're creating something or not, the same higher possibility is entering your field of awareness. It's just that our intuition tends to sense what's about to happen. And our ego interprets that as I've decided this is going to happen. I've given permission for this to happen. And then it believes that it's a creator. And it's not that we don't create our realities. Mm. It's just that fundamentally reality is created before we incarnate mm. and that we have milestones of experience throughout this life and that the free will and the choice yeah. is not making choices to guarantee an outcome. Choices mm. is how we vote for the very vibrational frequencies we wish to experience more often. So for example, if I make a choice and I ask mm. myself, what is the reason I'm making this choice? And what is the vibration I'm anchoring with this reason? That's the vote mm. I'm casting. The vote I'm casting is going to give me more of that emotional experience, no matter what ebbs and flows around me. So we don't use the law of attraction or co-creatorship to try to control reality with attachments to outcome, we actually make votes to vote for the very vibrations we wish to experience no matter what comes or goes. Wow. Thank you so much <laughs> for sharing that. Because that was going to be one of my next questions is how much of it then is, is destiny? How much of it is free will? Recently I've heard, a teacher describe it to me as it's one third of your story is destiny and pre-programmed in one third of it is free will and one third of it is the environment around you and the people around you and you know serendipity and happenstance yet i can hear in your response the the trust and that what is happening is actually the truth of it all you know and that's it's the happening and that it's just the reference points that the ego would like to sort of understand its place in what's happening and then sort of right. bringing its story to it so it can feel that aliveness. But I would never have imagined, yeah, the seismic awareness of every choice is a vibrational like, marble that I put into the bag and go, that's how I choose and it's actually, right. it's so empowering because that's, you can choose how you want your journey, not necessarily to turn out, but rather feel. Right. For example, um, when we are watching a movie in a theater, mm. we're watching a movie that is filmed already, edited mm. by the director. And we're watching a movie that even though we're at the beginning has, or the ending has already occurred, even though the main character is in the beginning scene. Mm -hmm. yeah. We take the journey of the character and we may not have the same experience as the main character because we're the observer of it. And so mm -hmm. in the same way, vibrationally, we can have much more fulfilling experiences even when we're in unfulfilling circumstances. And of course, I never want to say that these words 
are a justification to stay in a toxic partnership or to justify mm-hmm. any kind of abuse because I have to be very clear and responsible that we're not using this to go, well, I'm going to just shift my inner vibration because- And deal with, sure yeah, yeah, yeah. Very well. We surround Thank ourselves you. with people that are um, empowering us and helping us to learn how to love ourselves more. At the same time, when we're in circumstances that seem tumultuous and overwhelming, the question of consciousness becomes- how can I support myself, whether through perspective, self-care, self-acknowledgement, or love, so that how I experience the moment doesn't have to be defined by the circumstances in view? And I think that's where we really start waking up to co-creatorship. I would say 100% destiny, 100% free will, Mm -hmm. both our beloveds that are coming together in holy matrimony, and we realize Yes, there are infinite dimensions. There are infinite ways in which lifetimes play out. And there are things that we can do that seem to manifest certain outcomes. Mm. But our choices are to really bring about greater self-awareness, which is I'm not making a choice to stack the deck of what's going to happen. I look at a choice and I ask myself, why is that the choice I'm going to make? And then I listen for the why. And then I say, what is the vibrational value of that reason? Is it coming from fear or is it coming from faith? Is it coming from bravery or Mm. is it coming from scarcity? And we check our math to see what vibration we are continuing to anchor by the reasons behind our choices. That itself expands (laughs) the field so incredibly, probably needs another one of those sounds you made. <laughs> I love that. I think I just digested my lunch better. Those are amazing. That was scare the hell out of me. But this is this is what we're doing. We're yeah. voting vibrations putting out in the universe, but the mm. way we do it is not what I do. Why am I doing it? Because for example, someone can make a choice. You can look at the same choice and it can be done from a place of agenda. It can be done from a place of detachment. It can be done from a place of scarcity. It can be done from a place of bravery. Mm -hmm. We have to see what our motivation is. So we actually get onto the programming and we can then reconstruct the programming as we start to become more self-aware. So I think that the reason why the heart of surrender as a path is such an important one mm. is because, you know, it's one thing to want to create our reality. And I, and I love that. And, and there's a very real thing to it. And when you are in the flow, like mm. I'm someone who, who I say humbly um, manifests in remarkable ways. Mm-hmm. And the reason why that flows through me is because the vibrational equity that I've created based on not just what I do, but what are the reasons I have to do it have been brought into the light of self-awareness. I'm going to take that as a bit of a segue to go into choices and reasoning and the underlying and I harbor this intention to have this conversation with you today. So pardon me if it's not the smoothest segue. Um, but the choices sometimes that we act out from, um, the wounds that we carry. Mm. And yeah, the awareness around those wounds can come in waves, I find. Certain times we're like, oh, yep, that's something that, you know, I grew up with that, that's my thing, and, you know, I can totally attest to, you know, the Rumi quote, the cracks are where the light gets in, and I can really own that one, and I'm okay with it, you know, but then there are these other dormant pieces. I'm speaking from my experience and diving into the backlog of work I've done through your work of recognising, oh, I didn't know I was carrying that. And that only emerged through this dialogue for me, which was with the inner child. I'm sure there's other ways that um, sure. that can be elicited. I'm sure you're 
got many tools in that space. Mm -hmm. However, for me, that has been one that's been extremely profound. And it's been interesting actually recently. I feel like this topic of conversation is starting to get traction in places where I never imagined it would be getting traction. Like I've had some really high powered CEOs and business influencers on and they're like, my business went next level when I started doing, started healing my inner child. And I was like, wait, sorry, what's the business advice? You're exactly. <laughs> what's the business advice you're giving right now? It's like, heal your inner child. And I was like, is this just the inspired evolution? <laughs> this is how we roll. Is this like, what are you actually talking about right now? And it's, but it's, it's so true. So I would like to start gently and, um, I guess before even asking how to build a relationship with the inner child is like, what is our inner child in, in description, Matt? How would you describe that to us? And then potentially we can talk about how to build a relationship with it and then the space it holds for our wounds and our healing. Absolutely. This is a magnificent dialogue. And again, I'm so honored to be here with you. Mm. Um, the inner child is the innocence of our heart. So it is the animated innocence of our emotional body. It is the most empathic, both the most fragile and most indestructible part of ourselves. And it is an aspect of our ego. And the reason it's so important to know that is because mm. new spiritual paradigm, you know, one of the things that's so important and one of the things I always teach is that if the way you're speaking to yourself is not the way you talk to a child in pain, then it shouldn't be how you speak to yourself or other people. And I think in the name of spirituality, spirituality sometimes gets so excited about certain perspectives of evolutionary progress that we actually use the humility and we lose the kindness and so when mm. we return to the innocence of our heart or our inner child, it's as if connecting with your inner child is like revisiting a diary of your past where all the secrets that have been locked away in each and every page can now be revisited because your inner child is looking to you to be the course corrective experience of any mistreatment from the past. And as we connect with our child, treating it and saying the words that are the opposite of what it remembers enduring and surviving, mm. we start transmuting the cellular memories of what we carry. And when we no longer carry cellular memories of mistreatment, pain, and trauma, we have open spaces to be filled with the vibrations that we vote for through the choices we make each day. Mm. And so it's a beautiful undertaking to be the adult. It's as if the adult that you are is an angel or the higher self to the child that you once were that lives in the past. And you are stepping back in time to introduce yourself to this innocence as its future self, to embrace it, to rescue it from the turmoil of its past and bring it out of the nightmare of the past and mm. into the paradise of present moment reality. And we do it by dialoguing with our heart not just saying I love you, which is part of it, but really interacting with it, building a relationship, speaking to it. Mm. And what's amazing is that when we treat our heart and respect it as the innocence of the child that we were and survived, our ego no longer has to dress up as the shadow in order to get the attention. So it's kind of a yeah. big deal. Because there's, would you say that we, those wounds act out patterns from the ego again and again so that they can be seen and heard and resolved and healed so that we can move on with greater grace. And until we address that work, those patterns continue to present themselves. I would absolutely say that. So it's like the inner child goes, well, you know, as the innocence, I'm not getting the attention. So I either put on a scary Halloween mask as the shadow or mm. I try to pretend I'm the... I'm the controller and micromanager of them because the innocence in whatever archetypal mask it's wearing, inner child, ego, shadow, mm. whatever it is. Think of it just like different masks a child is wearing saying, what do I have to do mm. to get your attention? Because mm. if you can remember that you're my rescuer, once you rescue me, 
then I, the inner child, become your liberator. And Mm. it's a two-way street where it's not just us rescuing an inner child, but the inner child is the seed of awakening consciousness that grows into its infinite power when it's safe enough in our presence to process the pain and the memories it didn't have the space and safety to process in our past. So we are helping the inner child reconcile its past while the inner child is helping to awaken the light of our highest potential. And it's a two-way street. It's beautiful. Mm. Building relationship with it for me through your guidance starter with conversation, is that the best place to start that you recommend for the tuner listening in? I, I like... When people start dialoguing with their inner child, mm. I like to think of it, and this is this is just how I see it. I'm not a parent in this lifetime, although I feel like I'm a parent to a lot of the people. That <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I feel like a, I feel like a parent to the over there. <laughs> yeah. Which, by the way, you yeah. would think Thursday would be so cool and <laughs> just saying, people. Uh, uh, just uh. saying i'm just yeah. can never have enough but, novelty socks <laughs> look novelty socks ties uh, uh, i'm waiting, I'm waiting. <laughs> but but i i think <laughs> pardon me totally di- pardon me totally digressing no please do me a favor in remind a, me in, just ask in me. a child dialogue connection yes. best way to yes. build that okay. connection so mm-hmm. i th- i like to think of it like a parent if I adopted a child out of a foster care system right. and this child came into my home, having come out of a very scary, uncertain household, and let's say that child was hiding in a closet and let's mm. say that closet is our heart. Like m- most people, I would sit by the door of the heart mm. and I would say, it's okay. You have a right to be here. You're safe, even though you remember not being safe. And I'm just going to be with you to show you the consistency and safety that you haven't had. So that's the first thing is we want to establish ourselves as I'm not here to change your point of view. I'm just here to give you the support that you've always needed and required. And then the next step is I would sit at the door with that child hiding and I would ask questions. I would ask questions from a space of detachment, not requiring an answer. I would say, how are you in there? How is your day today? And I wouldn't expect an answer. A lot of people think when they ask their inner child, they need to hear an answer. And the truth is, in the beginning, the inner child doesn't respond because it's just taking in the opportunity to be seen, heard, and valued. And when we ask our inner child a question, it gives it the permission to know that it has the right to use the power of its voice, when in many instances, the traumas and the pains of our past is what removed us from our power or took our voice from us. And so we are giving the inner child first the power of its voice by asking open-ended questions without expecting an answer, but just as a way of showing it, you are welcome here. You are seen and valued exactly as you are. And I'm asking questions so that you can be a part of this one. And slowly but surely, that door will crack open a little bit. The child will come out of the closet of the heart. And what was once a hurt and scared foster child mm. is now the newest member of our family. I remember from my personal experience taking the inner child for a walk out in public yeah. at times. And, you know, starting to, a big part of the journey for me was healthy boundaries. Yes. Massive part of my journey. Thank you, <laughs> by the way. Just, it's well, not, it's seriously. Um, and I remember how even now, like, I can feel the edges of what I'm about to share. Um, the the tenderness with which realizing that I had to ask for what I needed from others as boundaries, Mm -hmm. even though those boundaries didn't necessarily have anything to do with them. They were more about me asking for what I needed. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually at times, if I'm honest, it being 
such a foreign exercise for those around me because I'm a people pleaser by shadow, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. And the edges to that, I remember feeling the delicate process of how those knocks actually felt, mm-hmm. you know, in the process of opening and yet, you know, me going, hey, this is, I'd appreciate it if we could have a boundary in this particular place. For me, it would look like this and it would mean this, this, that and the other to me, you know, not making it about them in any way. And eventually someone going, you know, and eight times out of 10 being received very well for it. And then two times out of 10, you know, having this, and this is real. And then going into a process around, oh my God, I'm trying to let this, you know, inner child go for a walk, see the world, trust the world, safety. Mm -hmm. Such a big conversation around safety. And then potentially the world not always meeting it with that, with that safety um was quite a is continues actually to be a body of work um, as i can share the the edges of what i'm what i've been going through um yeah your awareness on safety for for that and how we navigate and dance into greater levels of safety or perhaps is some of the unsafety a necessary part of the strengthening of the process it's a great question. And again, thank you for such a deep, compelling share. And I love witnessing all that you're unpacking. Yeah. <clears throat> I think that there's a couple things about safety. One is, I think what confuses people is that when they feel feelings of unsafety, mm. they think that means they're unsafe. And what we can see, if we're able to see, is that feeling unsafe means the inner child is finally feeling safe enough within you to process and feel the lack of safety. It didn't have the space in the past to process. So it's a wonderful shift to say, no matter how unsafe I feel, I'm the unsafety I'm feeling is showing me that my inner child is safe enough in my presence to finally face, feel and process what it had to hide from in the past. That's the Mm -hmm. first part. The second part is when we're in the presence of others and something happens and we need to create a boundary. We say, hey, you know, in the same way that if you had had a newborn child in your home and your friends came over or being really loud, you'd be like, don't wake the baby. So in the same way, in our external life, we're like, hey, I'm glad to be here with you, but you're kind of waking the baby a little bit. <laughs> if you can just help me and not do this, that would be great. And if that comes with a level of discord of, I can't do that. Because what does the ego say in support? Like, and when I say ego, I mean someone else's or someone's unsupervised inner child. That's mm. what I'm saying, mm. right? It says, I'm happy to help create safety as long as I get what I want. Mm. But what people are learning is that when it comes to safety, they don't always get what they want in, with regard to the people that are acting with. That safety is not about fulfilling anyone's desires. Safety is about making a space safe enough for desires to be felt and experienced. And so when we're in the presence of people who don't know how to respect the safety that we desire, we just have to put people on notice and say, hey, this is what I really need right now. And I honor if that's not what you can do, but I might need to kind of end this interaction and and find some more nourishment for what I really need. So I mm. think as advocates for our inner child, one, we put people on notice and say, hey, Adam, I, I just need to let you know, here's what I'm going through. And this is what I really need if you can support me in this. And if that's not an agreement someone can make in support of this, then what do I need to do to put myself in a better environment in the same way that if I had a newborn child and I went to my friend's birthday party and my child kept crying uncontrollably, I'm probably going to have to remove the child and leave the party early Mm. to tend to their needs. So I think by and large, and this is just kind of to kind of distill it all into like a really juicy insight. Mm. I thought about this a couple months ago. I think that part of the beauty of coming into contact with your inner child is that you start thinking like a parent. 
And I think some of the downfall of people who aren't parents is they don't have a reason to think like a parent. And when you think mm. like a parent, you have to think of more than just yourself. Mm. So I think the more that we connect with our hearts, the more we all start thinking like parents, which is to think as mature divine space holders and to say, I'm not just fixated on the desire of the moment or the outcome I, I hope will come to be. I'm in tune with my heart. I'm making sure I'm safe. And the more consistently we create safety within our emotional body, the more your inner child will trust you to the degree that it will feel as if it's living in the heart of a superhero. So in the presence of anyone's behavior, it feels completely invincible. And then from that place, the inner child feels so safe, it begins remembering that it is an extension of your divinity and then the child and the adult begin growing together, which mm -hmm. is when consciousness begins to awaken. So I believe that the inner child work is not just the heart of regulating nervous system, the way we reconcile our past and clear our cellular body, but it is the cornerstone and foundational work that gets us ready and prepares us for the awakening of consciousness. Thank you so much for sharing that. You're welcome. At the risk of making the listener get to this point and then have to rewind <laughs> the last 20 minutes and go back again. Yeah. How do we, in your experience, how do you, I don't want to say diagnose, but for the listener listening in, I guess what I'm trying to ask on the listener's behalf is, how do I know if I've got inner child work to do? Really simple question. Um, right. Yeah, and so I probably should have led with that, but you guys can press rewind digital technology. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think I think that inner child work is appropriate for everyone at different mm -hmm. degrees and levels. Mm -hmm. But when we really have an inner child calling out to us, we tend to personify the qualities of our childhood. We tend to be doubtful, afraid, insecure. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we can be passive aggressive. Um, afraid to speak our truth, waiting for the approval of others before making a decision, mm -hmm. feeling what is an inspired choice, but then overthinking it over and over again. Mm -hmm. You know, like I muscle tested an answer. I got a clear yes. Now I got a muscle <laughs> to confirm the muscle test. And, <laughs> and then I got to pull a card to confirm my muscle test. And then I've got to, uh, which uh, is all great. Uh, and I'm, I'm saying this from a place of, um, just laugh, yeah, laugh, yeah, just yeah. at my own journey at yeah. because I'm saying things I've done, yeah. which is beautiful. But what you become aware of is that the cyclical patterning, the repetition of our behavior, how engulfed we are in self-destructive patterning, addictive behavior is often how we hide from being aware of the inner child. But when the inner child starts to reveal itself, we, we tend to personify those qualities from our childhood. And we tend to have experiences where other people put us in the roles of how we were in our past. And so life goes out of its way to show us what needs to be worked on. But I truly believe inner child work is for everyone. Mm. It's just that when I'm working with people intuitively, I'm tuning into, am I, are we working with an inner fifth grader? Is it right now inner adolescence? Mm. Is it inner young adult? Is it inner middle school? These mm. are very different energies. So I think yeah. we just have to get in tune with ourselves. And, and really, whether we see our heart as an inner child or just a heart, we have to really ask ourselves, how open is my heart? Mm. How open am I to being vulnerable? Um, am I... Am I more afraid of things that I'm excited? Uh, how easy is it for me to make new brave choices? How often do I step outside my comfort zone? And this, this, th these are just questions to help us see what box do I live in? Mm. And is that box like the closet a child hides in waiting for an adult to make it safe for the door of the heart to open? Thank you so much for sharing that. There's a question I've been burning to ask. Um, mm. And it goes along the lines of, 
This human experience in many ways, I'm conscious to use the word perfect um, because it may trigger some people, but in need of a better word is incredibly perfect, the mystery and how it's woven together, even the fact that I'm able to, from this side of the world, have a conversation with yourself on the other side of the world and in the present moment again and again, it's just incredible, (laughs) right? Like touch wood, life. And yet there is this connotation of healing that has victim and woundedness in it, which Mm -hmm. seems less than perfect. Right. And the, and I've, as I've started to mature, started to realise that life is potentially filled with contradictions. <laughs> Learning to dance between the poles yeah. is like a whole thing. And I've listened to some of your invocations and, man, you hold space for some really incredible <laughs> contradictions. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and I really value that. And I think I would just love to get your insight on this particular contradiction in terms of, yeah healing versus wholeness like we are completely whole and yet we're also healing like well there's a yeah sorry i don't want want to cut you off no that was was, yeah i love this i love i love this question um Mm. i've never actually been asked this and i love this question Mm. a couple things come up when you ask this one is that it's just the same as 100% 100% free will, 100% determinism in the same mm-hmm. way, 100% perfect, 100% completely imperfect. And so it's mm-hmm. kind of like we are the divine whose house is in need of tremendous renovation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if we were to look at it from this perspective, so there's two sides of conscious evolution. There's Dharma which is the collection of wisdom of insight. Mm -hmm. Dharma is always pointing to the grand quantum view. By the way, you're zooming in on this experience and experiencing yourself as this individual and everything seems larger than life. But -hmm. from this perspective, you are not only just a seed in the garden of divinity, but you are the entire garden of divinity itself. Mm -hmm. So that's Dharma. And part of Dharma is also the inner inquiry of what is it within me that prevents me from experiencing that full potential as I am now. So we have Dharma, which is almost like the celebration of truth, which we can call devotion. Mm. And we have inquiry, which is the self-examination, holding space and inner work that allows us to unravel all of the distractions that suggest we are anything other than the highest dharmic truth. Right. So it's kind of like you dressed up, you're the divine, you dressed up for Halloween as a person, Mm. and you got so in character as the person that you forgot to take your costume off. (laughs) And then you just started living in that costume. Yeah, And what if you're the divine and you're dressed up as Spider-Man and someone comes to God and says, hey, divine, can you grant my wish? I'm sorry, I'm Spider-Man. <laughs> and that's ego. And so event- mm-hmm. and then the person goes to the angels, hey, how come the divine's not granting wishes? The divine thinks they're Spider-Man right now. <laughs> have to excuse the divine. They're having a little bit of a moment. They're trying to scale walls and shoot webs and all sorts of stuff. And then one day the divine scratches their face and goes, oh, is this a mask? Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. I forgot. I was that which is underneath it. Mm -hmm. I've been so in character. I've been so in character in this play of imperfection. I forgot it was all being experienced by the highest perfection of all. And then we remove the mask. And the only reason why we have a mask of imperfection is to have perfection to be remembered. So we can come home. Yeah. We only leave home perception-wise to Mm. come home. And then the cosmic joke is once you're home, you realize that's a home you never left. But that's the revelation. 
And it can't be a revelation where everything is perfect and we don't do any inner work, nor can it be all inner work and no devotion and no dharma. It has to be both together, like there is free will and destiny, like there is perfection and imperfection. I look at these as just two lovers coming together in holy matrimony. Mm. I think it's only a contradiction when someone is under the assumption that they have to choose between the two, because mm. it takes two coming together to ignite a greater view of wholeness. And so it's only a contradiction when we're trying to choose one or the other, which is like trying to choose one parent over the other instead of just enjoying the marriage that they have together. Mm. Well, that is healing so much more than just the conversation we're having. It's also bringing in this visceral realization of life and death and the alleviation of the mask and the journey home. Yes. Life, life and death are soulmates and they come together and both disappear as we awaken. As I have said often, the inhale is a birth. The exhale is a death. And when you combine birth and death together, you get a word called breath. And so the more we spend time connecting with our inner child, being one with our breath, the more that all these appearance of fallacies or contradictions, these, these opposites, polarities, melt away. The fabric of time melts away. And we remember within the multidimensionality of these forms, mm. our own timeless nature. And the more that timeless nature is realized, the more it awakens within the costume of other aspects of divinity. And so it, it is an outrageously beautiful process, but with humility, I must say, it's not beautiful until it's beautiful. Mm. And it's not relieving until it's relieving. And we should never aspire to be any further than exactly where we are because exactly where we are is not something we may want to love but it's something that needs our love in order to reveal more of that wholeness within us how do you invite us to sit with the discomfort any which way we are uncomfortable is exactly the way discomfort wishes to be within us. Mm. I like to do with discomfort, and I've had extraordinary experiences with discomfort and pain and agony. Your own personal story, yeah. Yeah, and then yeah. someone wrote in my new book, I wrote, a, I, mean, I, mean, I wrote about it in a very funny way, but it was mm. horrific. It was hilarious and horrific. What I do, and, and even if I go to the dentist, you know, and I say that because Historically, I was always afraid of the dentist when I was a kid. I had a very aggressive dentist. I was afraid. Me too. My wife's a dentist. <laughs> really? <laughs> Sorry, that's amazing. That was just a joke waiting to have to take it. <laughs> no, that's amazing. That's, I'm sure that's very healing. That's amazing. Actually. Please, please continue. Sorry. Hey, can you? Uh... <laughs> well, as a kid, I would like avoid my teeth because I was rebelling against how I didn't like this dentist and how he treated me. So, when I would go to the dentist, I'd have to get like an uncomfortable procedure or I'd yeah. go to the doctor, or whatever. What I learned to do with pain, because I think a lot of people ask themselves this question. They ask themselves a couple different questions or like different versions of the question, which is how do I be with pain? Which is usually trying to say, what can I do to pa make pain less painful? Mm. With that process and agenda, we're always going to go in the direction of control and as long as we're trying to assert control, pain and its intensity surges. Mm. So the first thing about pain is it's helping us release, release the grip of control. The second thing about pain is I can't control the pain I'm in, but have I ever tried to befriend it with no possibility, with no promise that it's going to make it any less painful, but just out of curiosity, what happens if I befriend pain. So I went to the dentist about a year ago and mm. I had to go through an interesting little process. Um, I, I had to have my teeth cleaned and they needed to numb certain parts of my mouth. Okay. And it didn't hurt at all because I went to a very incredible dental spa place near my, mm. and it's just amazing. Mm. But when there was discomfort, mm -hmm. 
I had this curiosity arise in me and I thought, what if I cheer on the pain and not cheer on the pain? Like, yeah, that feels good. But the pain of, of this pain is being caused by practitioners that are helping me and I'm cheering on. Yeah. Mm. Thank you for cleaning my gums. Yeah. Mm. That's it. Rescue that part. Get it out of there. Mm. And I found myself consciously participating in the moment where pain was present. And what I learned was, is that when I've been in the most amount of pain and when I experience, when I work with people who are in the most amount of pain, Mm. they are in such pain that they're pulling away from the participation of their experience. And it can seem very contradictory for us to actually become more of a participant in the experience and the more celebration and the more acknowledgement we give to the experience, even if the pain is, this pain is showing me how deeply I am transmuting the past and clearing out what is here to be healed. Thank you, pain. Thank you for reminding me what I have the strength to survive. Thank you, pain, for showing me what I'm healing and not not allowing me to miss an opportunity of, hey, this is being healed. Isn't that great? And I learned to befriend and cheer on pain, not because I like pain, but because in being a friend to pain, pain is just a very intense healer who is so focused on the job it's doing on our behalf it's not trying to win a popularity contest. <laughs> and at the very least, that That's is to be respected. <laughs> yeah. What I'm hearing and what's, well, what's precipitating at my end is this awareness that we're going to heal. It's just a matter of how we show up. And that these tools absolutely. give us the options Yes, of really how you want to show up. And on a very fundamental level, just to make a very clear point, the more you hear your, heal your inner child, the more you spontaneously discover the most mysterious thing about life mm. that seems contradictory to most people, which is even in pain, I can be completely open. That is a tenant of embodied mastery. Not I'm trying to be out of pain or I can make pain disappear. I can be completely open while in pain, while devastated, while disappointed, while heartbroken. My experience does not determine my level of openness. The love I pour into my heart does. That is the revelation. Matt, I can't let you go today without discussing um, love and fear. Yeah. Love it. Because I hear this all the time, choose love over fear, you know, especially being in the space that I am with Inspired Evolution. It's, um, and it's a great mantra, like by no means am I, um, yeah, it's incredible to choose love over fear. Um, you know, it's been a really, really powerful guiding principle, mm-hmm. you know, in moments where it's like, would I do this? What if I do this? Or what's what you're tuning in and going, where is this coming from? It's like, actually, I'm afraid. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay. So that's actually coming from a place of trying to control and, you know, mm-hmm. wanting the best. And like, there's fear in there. Okay. And if I was inspired by love, what would I do? And it's like, actually, that thing's not for you. But it's like, that looks so shiny, <laughs> you know, and it's, you know, that's just one example of so many um, where choosing love over fear has been um, really helpful. Yet there are points in your journey where you grow um, and you start to run the risk of demonizing your fear, which is I'm guilty of. I've been there. We all have done that. We've all yeah. And it's subtle and potentially for some of those tuning in, I'm hoping that it's equally as profound for you as it was for me, uh, if not more so. And for some of you, this may go right over your head. No judgment there, it's just an assessment. Um, You shared this piece about being able to love the one who is afraid. That's right. And I can't tell you how helpful that's been. 
Thank you. It makes it means the world to me to hear this. It, yeah, it, it, I don't want to say took me to the next level. Like that sounds so like spirituality levels. Like, and there's a whole conversation we can have about spiritual ego <laughs> on, another, on, a, on another podcast for sure. Um, God, just the time we've got together. Um, but to love the one who is afraid brought me into a whole another relationship with my fear rather than just going, there's light, there's dark, choose the light, off you go. It's like, mm-hmm. there's the dark. And it's like, and I can only really see what's light because there's dark over here. Like the, it's holding space for the other and going, oh, and I've got to learn to love you for that, <laughs> you know? And it's like, there's a real incredible growing in space that you do, talking about holding space for yourself and others. Um, for me anyway, my experience um, that I experienced when that dropped in, I've spoken to it a bit here. Can you unpack that further for us? Of course. You know, if we, and I, I like the idea of levels because, you know, there is a third dimension, a fourth, a fifth, right? Third dimension mm-hmm. is um, the level of separation, but in a positive way, it's also the the realm of individuality, determination, and fourth dimension is the dimension of time. Fifth dimension, unity consciousness, and basically fourth dimension is the journey it takes from the to take you from the third to the fifth. Now I say that mm. because third dimensional consciousness is choosing love over fear, because in the third dimension we are under the impression that our choices create our reality, but it still is swirled into an outcome perspective attachment. Mm. Sort of harkens back to where we started the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> so if we imagine just a metaphor, because I love metaphors, a child is in their room bawling mm-hmm. their eyes out and a third dimensional parent goes in and leans in the door and goes, hey, you're going to be okay. <laughs> and then goes back to watch the game. That's choosing love over fear. Like fear uh-huh. is got like, <laughs> hey, hey, I love you. I'm not going to come through the doorway. Not gonna hold you. I'm like, hey champ, fuck it off. You're amazing. I love you. Super Bowl's on. Super Bowl's on. Literally kick off. Bro, gotta go. That, that's what that's like, right? And and again, my my litmus test. If it's not how you would treat a child in pain, love over fear is very bumper sticker worthy. Um, what I like to look at is Fear is an attention-seeking mechanism for the part of us that requires presence, love, and acknowledgement. Fear in itself, as a, as a catalyst of consciousness, is helping us to make our love more unconditional in nature. Fear mm-hmm. is showing us what we have the power to survive as we as we cultivate greater bravery within ourselves. So I think that when we say love over fear, I think that it's kind of um treating fear with abandonment and it's kind of a trading up scenario Mm. um i think in reality when we look the grit and the gravity of unity consciousness and the journey we take to come into oneness with life which is not just hiding in the mountaintop of perfection but bringing perfection and imperfection into a full integrated embodiment that when fear arises The question is, what do I need to provide myself to support myself through this fear? Now, that's contrary to societal conditioning that wants to eliminate inconveniences, wants to use the beauty of technological advances to make our lives more convenient. But at the same Mm. time, it builds a judgment against inconveniences instead of being able to say, inconvenience, barrier, hardship, fear, and loss are signs of a spiritual emergence where a part of who you once were is flaking away as a new you is being reborn. And so I think as we all come into great respect for the transmutation process for dark night of the soul, for all the stages that lead to spiritual awakening, self-realization, and the infinite nuanced levels of enlightenment, samadhi consciousness, all of these things, that truly it's about, not about how we judge fear, 
but what is my relationship with being afraid? And I think a lot of people are so afraid. They're so afraid of if I give my attention to fear, I'm going to attract more of it. Yeah. We're so afraid of doing something wrong, or we're so afraid of having an experience longer than we're supposed to. And then the question is, is it even possible to have an experience longer than we're supposed to? <sighs> so really, and then the thought is, but if I can get rid of the fear today, I'll have more time for joy and happiness, which is not how life works. And again, just to give you another analogy about that mm -hmm. belief, because I lived it out when I was a kid. When I was in high school, I took the what it what in America is called the pre the PSAT. Like the there's an exam that we take that will, if you do good enough, we'll get you into Ivy League colleges. Mm. And there's a practice exam. And I was sitting there knowing that as soon as I'm done, I get to go to recess. Mm. In my mind, I thought, well, if I can get done really fast, I could have a longer recess. So instead of reading the questions. I decided to fill in the bubbles of whatever I, I thought the answer was. Mm. And I completed my exam in 25 minutes. And I went out on the playground going, I have like an hour. <laughs> and I got to walk around the school where no one was. Mm. So in the analogy of I get rid of fear to have more time for joy, I sped through a test in high school to have more time walking around a playground where I just waited for my friends to come out of the, the thing. And if I'd actually taken the test and been present with it, I would have walked out with them and we would have had the same time together. So mm. I thought I was giving myself more of something and I gained nothing. So mm. in the same way, we think I got to get out of this fear quickly so I could have more time for joy. And we don't understand a lot of the times. There's a certain amount of time you will spend at every emotional level and it oscillates back and forth. No mm. feelings in the way of any other feeling. Just in the same way, all the colors of the rainbow are not blocking any of the colors from being seen. Each one plays their part. So when fear arises, we say, thank you for showing me that you're safe enough in my presence to feel this way. Thank you for sharing your secrets with me. How may I best support you through this process instead of trying to control and micromanage what I continue to judge? So fear is the dismantler of judgment. Fear is an entry point into surrender. And fear is the beginning of healing our superstitions by helping us confront them. Fear is a badass archangel. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, thank you so much for sharing that. And before I go, there is so many. For those tuning in, guys, please, if you don't know where to start, please go check out Matt on YouTube. I'll put a link to his YouTube channel in our show notes below um, and links to all the books on Kindle or Audible. I'll pick one. I preferably like Audible, so I'll pick one or the other. Um, links to the books will be in the show notes below as well. So please do go check out Matt's work. Um, as you can obviously elicit from this episode, it's been profound for me, to say the least. Um, and for countless others, Matt is celebrated worldwide. Matt, what is your vision for um, this work that you're doing in the world? I know you're surrendering in many ways. A lot of the medicine I receive from you is time and time again to reach less and accept more and surrender into the mystery. And it's been, you know, um, this real sinking coming home feeling time and time again which has a lot of lightness in it as though even though it's used the word sinking um what is your vision for the collective what inspires you to do what you do or do you just do it because it's you i have no idea i would love to sort of hear it from you <laughs> great question yeah i mean thank you for this opportunity it's been wonderful connecting with you i'd love to do mm -hmm. it again Thanks. i would say that my vision i mean i you know i could say oh i want to make a more loving world but to be honest I want to help create a world. I mean, I could say a world of awakened consciousness, of course, yes. But mm. sometimes when we talk about awakened consciousness, it means a world of people talking about awakened consciousness. What I actually want mm. is to help create a world of more kindness, of greater respect. I want to create a world 
where embodying ethical value is cool. Mm. In a world where being polite and kind does not have to come at the expense of our individuality and where kindness, ethics, and integrity is heralded and honored as an incredible life achievement that the leaders of the planet of this world are those that are living by example as way showers of kindness, respect, honor, and integrity. That's what I am working to create in this world. And when I leave this world, whenever that is, I want to leave the world more kind, respect, and integral than however I found it. Matt, thank you so much for sharing yourself so abundantly here with us today and for your incredible, incredible prayer for all of us to be so much kinder, to be so much more integral in our beings and to have so much more respect for life and everything that it offers us on the journey. Um, yeah, there are not enough words. I would love to just thank you for today, but I can't because it's a lifetime's worth of work that informs <laughs> this conversation, potentially then some. So I just want to honour and acknowledge you for all the work that goes into us having this conversation here today. Thank you so much, really. Thank you. And what I wanted to also share is, you know, my team had reminded me, yeah. um, you know, we had created this beautiful documentary called Healed by Love that we're offering for free so that the world can receive the healing. <laughs> And I got the noise at the end, which is what I wanted. So, <laughs> so if everyone watching this goes to mattcon.org slash love, M-A-T-T-K-A-H-N.org slash love, you can receive this free documentary, a feature-length documentary that is not just a documentary about healing, but a documentary that actually heals you as you watch it. It's, <sighs> a, it's our gift to offer the world, and I would love for everyone to watch it. Boys, girls, plants of all kind, that will be the first link in the show notes below. So please do go check that out. And uh, as always, Inspired Evolution Tribe, you guys are so inspired and continue to evolve. It is just such an honor to be your brother walking by your side. Thank you so much for tuning into this incredible conversation. None of this would be possible without you guys. Love you so much. <laughs> Bye for now. Love you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this amazing episode of the Inspired Evolution. Without you, the Inspired Evolution tribe, this podcast would not be what it is today. Thank you so much for your love and your support. Thank you so much for being so inspired to evolve. It's truly inspiring. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the Inspired Evolution on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution's video podcast. We release inspiring conversations such as this every week, along with guided meditations and empowering insights all designed to help you grow and evolve. Honestly, your subscription on YouTube to the channel helps us out a great deal. And one of the other benefits, if you're having any insights or shifts from these episodes that you want to chat about, or if you'd like to leave myself or the guest a message, please do so in the comments on YouTube. I truly look forward to hearing from you. And as always, Tribe, remember to stay inspired and keep evolving.